The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Three scenes. Scene one. It's their third date. And this couple is taking a stroll along a park path on a clear, warm summer night after a delicious dinner. And they're looking at the sky and they're talking about the possibility of marriage. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a huge falling star paints a brilliant path directly above their heads. And they say, it's a sign. Third year of marriage. And that same couple is struggling financially. Husband has lost his job. His wife has just discovered that she's pregnant. They decide to take a walk down that favorite path. And as they're walking along, they spot a crisp thousand dollar bill right at their feet. It's a sign. Third decade of marriage. That same couple is not really talking much. They're coexisting. Kids are gone. He's overworking. And he's finding little satisfaction in anything. She's lonely and starting to find the men in her romance novels more attractive than her husband. And she asks him, do you, you want to go for a walk? And he grunts at me behind his laptop. And she goes alone along this familiar park path when suddenly she hears in the distance the roll of thunder and sees the black storm clouds moving into the park as a black cat crosses in front of her and she says, it's a sign. What is a sign? And why is the word sign the first four letters of the word significant? Or the word signature? Why is sign the first part of those words? Well, the word sign comes from the Latin word signum, which means identifying mark, symbol, or proof. What, what is it? What is a sign? It's an object, a quality, or an event whose presence or occurrence indicates the probable presence of something else. So when we see a stop sign, what's happening at that stop sign? Hopefully, cars are stopping. When we watch someone do sign language, it's the way in which we represent words through hands. When we say it's a sign, we are meaning that something has happened or something's been seen that's an indication that something else is behind it. For the couple, the shooting star was a sign of blessing on their marriage. That thousand dollar bill was a sign that things are going to be okay. The thunder, the sky, the cat was a sign that this marriage must be doomed. Signs are intended to point us to something significant beyond them. But in our limited and sinful condition, we have two faithless ways that we understand or think about signs. The first is this. 
We put our trust in the signs and not the substance or the ordinary stuff behind the signs. So for the married couple, as an example, every significant chapter of their life together had to be confirmed with a bolt of lightning or a jolt of emotion or a hologram from heaven. We put our trust only in the signs. The second faithless way is this. We put our trust only in the substance, in the stuff completely ignoring the significance of what that stuff represents. I'll give you an example. Take the ordinary substance of sex. In our culture, what's happened to the ordinary substance and the significance of sex? Sex serves as a sign given by God of a covenant commitment between a husband and a wife. That's the sign of sex. Covenant commitment between a husband and a wife. What has it become? It has just become stuff. It has become insignificant. Insignificant. Signless. It's lessened to something merely physical. For hookups and quick fixes. The ordinary stuff has lost its significance. And in today's passage in Mark, two groups have been given one sign. Jesus has just fed a crowd of thousands of people with a limited amount of bread. Five loaves of bread feeding 5,000 people Seven loaves of bread feeding 4,000 people. And for each of these groups, there's a call to interpret the sign that they saw rightly. Do they see this sign from Jesus and trust that it's God's kingdom invading its way into the world? Or do they see it as something else? We need to see the sign this morning. The extraordinary love of Jesus making its way into our ordinary lives. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, starting in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now the disciples, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, understanding this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? 
When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is God's word. Do you see the sign, the sign of the extraordinary love of Jesus making its way into the ordinary of our lives? Why didn't they? Two groups of people, the Pharisees and the disciples, unable to see and understand how the extraordinary love of Jesus meets them in the ordinary. How did this happen to each group and how does it happen to each one of us? And how can God's word this morning correct our faithless ways of understanding the signs, the significance of God's love in our ordinary lives? Well, friends, two things we need to look at and two things we need to see this morning. First, we need to see the sign of God's love within the ordinary. See the sign of God's love within the ordinary. And second... See the sign of God's love beyond the ordinary, through the ordinary. So first, see the sign of God's love within your ordinary. We'll look at verses 11 to 16. Jesus and his disciples, they've just left the mainly unchurched region of Galilee, okay? And they're heading back to a predominantly more churched Bible Belt territory of the Jews, a town called Dalmanutha. And Dalmanutha is probably, commentators guess, it's probably located just a couple of miles north of where Jesus performed the first feeding of the 5,000. So he's in the Bible Belt where the feeding of the 5,000 just happened. And how do the religious leaders, the Pharisees, respond to that sign that Jesus gave them? What do you see in the first verse, verse 11? How do they respond to the sign? Well, I'm going to read it as the Greek kind of articulates it a little bit better than our English. The Greek would probably read more like this. The Pharisees came out to him hot. Demanding a sign from heaven in order to find him guilty. So it's a little different from the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. No, they're hot and they're ready to find anything to put this guy out. You see the problem with these men? Instead of interpreting Jesus's action of feeding thousands of people as an extraordinary sign of God's love and compassion for hungry world, needy people. They interpret it as a power grab. And they demand he step it up and prove himself legitimate. Well, guess what? God doesn't prove himself legitimate. He already did in his compassion to these people. They believe trust needs to come from another sign. A more significant sign. Feeding hungry with bread, not enough for us. 
the religious leaders, the one who are to be the place where faithfulness is found, are being completely faithful, faithless. They want more wonders. They want more signs. They're wonder bread. That's not enough. And that, friends, their response, the Pharisees' response, is itself significant. It's a sign. It's a sign of unbelief. When you want more than what Jesus has already given you. Because faith, friends, will not come from proof. (laughs) Faith is believing without your eyes seeing it. Jesus groans deeply. It's not anger that's making him groan. It's a profound amount of grief. They're not going to get it. They have no faith. What you want, this extraordinary sign of pyrotechnics from heaven, that's not the ordinary stuff of faith. So far in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has had signs displayed. First sign was this. The Father called an audible from heaven when he was baptized. How's that for a sign from heaven where God says, this is my son, I approve of him. (laughs) That seems pretty significant, yes? But more than that, Jesus has healed the demon-possessed. He's healed the sick. He has healed the lepers. He has healed the paralytic. He has healed the deformed. He has healed the diseased. He has healed the deaf. And he has healed the dead. And it is not enough. It will never be enough for him, for them. That's the groan. The Lord has shown a sign of God's compassion and interest in returning people back to their way of life, their ordinary way of life, by restoring them to full functioning in this world. It's what these miracles are. Just God wanting to make all things right so you can live. And just live an ordinary life. That's what Jesus was doing. Pointers to a God who is bringing about his kingdom. In which ordinary life can once again happen. People can see, walk, hear, eat, breathe, live. All ordinary functions. How God made us to be. That's the sign of an extraordinary God. One who works to restore us back to the way he made us to be. And he says to the Pharisees, in essence, if you're wanting more than that from God, I have nothing to give you. Jesus uses that term, this generation will not see a sign. And it's his way of lumping the Pharisees into another faithless generation, the faithless generation of Moses and the people whining in the wilderness. People who, instead of trusting in God's daily and ordinary care for them, demand God give them more. This week I talked to a friend, um, which maybe some of you have also been hit with this this week. Uh, They've been hit with the stomach bug. Okay? Our family hates the stomach flu when it hits our house. It's only like 36 hours, but man, it is the longest 36 hours in a family's world, isn't it? And this husband was remarkably spared from getting it himself. But instead, in the midst of all of this, found himself cleaning up vomit, And attending to 
the over and above diaper duty. And I saw in his cleaning up the messes made by family members an extraordinary love in the ordinary tasks. Every bucket brought, (laughs) every dirty floor disinfected, every soiled thing made sanitized. All those ordinary actions served as an extraordinary love within an ordinary life. But more than that, friends, take what's going on in the cells of a person with the stomach bug. An extraordinary love within an ordinary life. As their immune system is being activated by the virus that this body sees as foreign. When these viruses attach to these special receptors on the immune cell, a whole set of things go on in the body. When the body comes in contact with a germ for the first time, it remembers information about that germ and stores a strategy on how we fight this germ. Then, if it comes in contact with the germ again, it recognizes the germ straight away and can start fighting it faster. Oh, what an extraordinary process going on in our ordinary bodies. Both within the ordinary body who has the stomach bug, stomach flu, and in the hands of a husband caring for his sick family is the extraordinary love of God. Do you see the signs within an ordinary life? And in what ways are you in this church, in this world, refusing to see God's extraordinary love in the ordinary as enough? How are you seeking additional extraordinary signs in order to entrust Jesus your ordinary life. Look around. Look around. There are evidences of God's extraordinary love in every ordinary corner of your life right now. You don't need any more signs. You just need to look around. Here's some practical, very ordinary ways I wanted to suggest you might see the signs of God's extraordinary love in the ordinary today. Go get some seeds. Go get a pot and grow a little plant in your house. Let it mesmerize you as it grows from nothing to something. Watch your children sleep. See in their resting their heads on a pillow Individuals who trust that God can run the universe without them. Give God thanks in everything. Whatever is happening. From the most minutia part of your day. Give God praise. Unplug the entertainment IV. And go outside. (laughs) Even if it's cold. Listen to the sounds. Settle in the stillness of the winter. Watch for movement or stirring of God in the winter. Look your friend or your spouse or your child in the eyes for a few seconds. See in them the fingerprint and the forming of God's grand design. Eat a meal with friends. Laugh. Laugh at yourself. Laugh at yourself. Love the ordinary fact that God saw it not good for you to be alone and gave you people around you who love you in spite of how imperfect you are. And when you get the Rona, 
which you will, (laughs) see the symptoms even as signs of God's design to heal your body. And if it doesn't heal itself, see the sign of your failing body as a hope that God, through Christ's resurrection from the dead, is able to restore you one day back to full eternal health. And when you sin, which you will, repent regularly. Experience the grace of God when you swear at a broken toilet. (laughs) When you bark at your crying child. When you give the silent treatment to someone you love. He wants to meet you in the ordinary with the comfort of his extraordinary love and forgiveness found on the cross. We are addicted to CGI computer-generated images. We are addicted to the next innovation or the next best thing to the point that we've left the extraordinary love of God and the ordinary things in the dust. Get in the boat with Jesus and let him show you already how he's loved you rather than refusing to get in unless he impresses you with a little bit more because it will never be enough. This is where we pick up with the disciples. Their eyes are not looking for more than what God's given, friends. They're actually settling for less. It's our second point and the final point. See the sign of God's love beyond the ordinary. So Jesus warns the disciples here about yeast. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And yeast is, to their ears, the pervading bacterial air holes of empty influence in the disciples' world. That's what yeast is. He's saying to them, these people are believing that Jesus isn't, be, isn't to be believed or isn't enough for your ordinary life. That's the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. He's not enough. Jesus is not enough. Warning, watch out for that, guys. And as they're panicking, holding one loaf of bread for a long journey, Jesus uses that bread as an object lesson to say, they're going to want, the Pharisees and Herod, they're going to want you to believe you have to have more than me. That you have to be more religious that you have to be more powerful, that you have to be more influential, that you have to be more relevant in order for the gospel to be believed. That's what they're going to say. Don't buy it, guys. Look at that bread in your hands. Don't buy that yeast. And how do they respond? (laughs) I told you you should have brought more bread. I told you, you, Peter, you forgot the bread again. Jesus is mad at us because we forgot the bread again. They take Jesus completely literal. Like the yeast he was mentioning was a rebuke of them not being better meal planners. The disciples and us get stuck in the ordinary. We don't see beyond what's in front of us and have no expectation for 
extraordinary things within the ordinary. Our eyes stay on the ground rather than lifting the ordinary bread to the heavens. We see Jesus' seven questions firing at the disciples. We might think it's really harsh. But friends, Jesus leans into those he loves. He doesn't leave them on the shore. He knows that in just a few days or weeks, everything is going to turn around really fast. It's like the boat they're on is headed toward Niagara Falls. And the Pharisees and Herod are coming to kill Jesus. And he's saying to them, even after my resurrection, they're going to come again to take you down. And after you disciples, after they take you down, they're going to come again for the original audience of Mark who are being persecuted by Nero. And after them, the martyrs of the ages, they're going to come after you. And after them, the church in the world, they're going to come after you. And his questions are all about their need to see beyond the ordinary of bread. Bread isn't the end. What is? Where does he lead them? What's the end? Broken bread. Broken bread to feed the 12 tribes of Israel. Broken bread to feed the seven continents of the world. Do you not yet understand? They don't. Mark, who is probably writing with Peter as his primary source, is casting the disciples as men who were so stuck in the ordinary they couldn't see beyond the ordinary. To see in this sign of ordinary bread that they were holding in their hands the extraordinary food of Jesus for a dying world. Jesus is the broken bread. I am the bread of life. You must see where we're going, guys. I'm going to be broken. We're not just surviving here on bread. We're bringing salvation to the world. We had an elder retreat about a month ago in which one of our elders led a devotional for us on Acts 2. I'm just going to read a portion of Acts 2. One verse said this. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Tell me about that church. Uh, Sounds pretty ordinary, doesn't it? They were learning together. They were living together. They were eating together. They were praying together. Nothing exceptional. Nothing to put on a billboard on a 172. But what happens in this ordinary church practice? Extraordinary things. This is the next verse. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. They were selling everything they had and giving it to the needy. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And just a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, people see beyond the ordinary of Peter and John as they're confronting the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. And this is what it says. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished. Why? Because they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. 
friends, we need to invite Jesus, His extraordinary grace and love, into our ordinary lives, and it will cause us to see nothing again as just ordinary. Making bread is not just ordinary. Taking kids to school and tucking them in at night, not just ordinary. Going to work, not just ordinary. Coming to church every week on Sunday, not just ordinary. We want our lives to be over-the-top, impressive, relevant, noteworthy, amazing, don't we? So that the world will be impressed with Jesus. Wow, look at those people. But that's not on us. Jesus calls us to live ordinary lives in his presence. Trusting him to make those lives signs of his love. It's not on us to be extraordinary. Michael Horton in his book called Ordinary describes the phenomenon this way. Listen to this. All Saints. CNN will not be showing up at All Saints Church. It will not be showing up at a church that's simply trusting God to do extraordinary things through his ordinary means of grace delivered by ordinary servants. But friends, who will show up? God will. Week after week, these means of grace and the ordinary fellowship of the saints that nurtures and guides us throughout our life may seem frail, but they are jars that carry a treasure, Christ, with all his saving benefits. Our ordinary lives and the extraordinary love of God displayed in them is a sign to the world. Our regular worship, it's a sign. Our giving of our tithes, it's a sign. Our concern for our neighbors is a sign. Daily work done well is a sign. Each Christian is privileged to concentrate on living out God's love in our ordinary lives. God will take care of the signs. See, every ordinary thing you do, saints as an opportunity to carry the gospel of extraordinary love. Every sacrifice you make for your child, a sign. Every choice you make to serve someone, a sign. Every breaking of bread, a sign. Don't get lost in the weeds of the ordinary life, the mundane of your schedule, the mechanical of your punching in and out, because everything you do in this ordinary life has the opportunity to be a sign of God's extraordinary love. I want to close with one quote by George Eliot. And it was at the end of a movie called A Hidden Life. If any of you have seen it, it's long, but it's good. But it's the story about this farmer who's done his life in an ordinary way with the extraordinary love of God. Every day serving in his tasks of cutting down wheat, of milking cows, of slaughtering pigs. It's just basically two and a half hours of his ordinary, hidden little life until he's called up by Hitler to serve in his army. And he refuses. That's not the majority of the movie, friends. The majority of the movie is watching him faithfully live an ordinary life. And the end of the movie, as it's probably not a surprise, he doesn't live. (laughs) At the end of the movie, this quote comes up. And I want to leave you with it and remind you of it. Those who feel like your lives are insignificant. Who feel like your lives are not remarkable and extraordinary. They're just ordinary. Hear this. The growing good of the kingdom of God 
is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. The fact that things are not so bad with you and me right now as they might have been is partly due to the number of people who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited graves. Saint, see your ordinary life as lived in the extraordinary love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would use these ordinary lives, these unexceptional lives, to display your extraordinary and miraculous and compassionate love for the world. We don't have to create a movement. We don't have to come up with the next big thing. You're just calling us to live faithfully, knowing that in living faithfully, extraordinary things can happen. May our graves be indeed unvisited, but may your glory be seen and displayed forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.